Hey, St. John, welcome to the Post-Sermon Podcast. This is Vicar James filling in for Deaconess Dahlia, and with me today is Pastor Adam. Hey, y'all. Today we're going to be discussing Pastor's sermon from yesterday, March 16th. It is a midweek Lenten sermon. How are you today? I am doing okay, and I am very glad to be on the other side of this sermon. I can imagine. That was a tough, tough text. Yeah. How did I end up with that, and you did not end up with that? Uh, I don't know. Luck, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we <laughs> planned this a while back, and I just did not think, oh, you know, Deborah, that'd be, that'd be okay. No, it was not. Yeah. I, I have to tell you, I was counting my lucky stars when uh, I did not pick that one. Yeah. So. Have fun with uh, is it Gideon next week. Yeah. I think that one was going to be just a smidge easier. So. Sure. Yeah. So uh, tell us a little bit about the text that you preached on. One thing you'll notice with our Wednesday series is we have long, long readings. We're not really dancing around. We're not just going to do 10 verses here, 10 verses there. It was all of Judges 4. It was all of Judges 5, because that's the whole narrative uh, surrounding Deborah, the judge. And what's interesting is it's the same story told twice. And so in chapter 4, you get prose. It's just the narrative, here are the details. And then in chapter 5, now you get the song of uh, Deborah and Barak, and it basically retells the whole thing once again, just in poetic form. And so it's interesting how scripture, inspired scripture, has us go through this story twice in a row. So at the beginning of the sermon, you uh, you said, um, I warned you, you know, that this was going to be tough to read. Um, so th- this is a pretty hard text to take a look at. It's got a lot of, um, well, a lot of violence and a lot of bad things going on. How, how should Christians look at this text, this Old Testament text where God is doing these things? Yeah, uh, I mean, there's, there's plenty of times of, of violence in Scripture. There are battles all over the place, and and I think just sometimes when you have parts of Scripture like this, when they actually slow down and say, and here's the details, and here's what happened, and even as a jail, uh, you know, lures in Sisera, right, and covers him, and, and here's some milk, and um, and you just, you know what's going to happen, and actually hear the details in the description of the tent peg, and it went in, and and now he's dead, right? And you, you feel the progression of death in there. And so what do we do with these things? This is a good reminder that... Uh, the scriptures are full of some really challenging topics and material, and it is just a reminder of the sin of this world, the brokenness of this world. And I think one other point, and I thought about going into this with this sermon, but I, I think I've done it elsewhere, and you know, it can be brought up again, is that there is an idea known as uh, descriptive and prescriptive scriptures. You, got, you guys talk about that in seminary? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes scripture is just describing, here's what happened, here's the story, here are the facts. And sometimes in scripture, they're also saying, now go and do likewise, or do this, or don't do this. And one of the great tasks of reading the scriptures is to discern that. Is the scripture telling me that this is what it looks like to be a Christian, this is what I should do and pursue? Or is it just saying, here's what happened, and let's look at what truth we can find in here? And that's that's a really helpful thing to keep in mind when we read the scriptures. Are they describing, here's what happened in this event? or prescribing this is what we should pursue or not pursue as disciples of Jesus. Yeah, I think that's a helpful way to look at it, So, because this is really just in a, a, a text that's describing events that don't happen. I think one of the challenges, though, for Christians is that, uh, especially in the, in the world that we live in, is 
um, a lot of times the outside world looks at these texts and they gauge it or they gauge Christianity based on it. Richard Dawkins, who I'm sure most people have heard of, has famously said that Jesus dying on the cross is a um, an example of cosmic child abuse, right? And then when you look back at um, all these texts in, in history, they, they see all of this evil stuff happening and they attribute it to God. How do Christians, how should Christians respond to that? It's a topic that gets brought up and and so whether it's the the child abuse example you brought with Christ on the cross, or just how can God tell his people when they conquer the promised land, go and slaughter every man, woman, and child? How do we reconcile some of this? And uh, you can get why that gets brought up as an argument against the faith. Some of it is to say, we leave this to the mystery of God, is one important answer, especially when we get to the cross. So much of of what happens on the cross is we just look on in mysterious awe. I think this is why Holy Week is so precious to the church and why we read so much scripture during Holy Week is how do we fathom the inner workings and mystery of God rather than using labels like uh, divine child abuse or, or something like that to, uh, to denigrate what happens on the cross, rather to see the God of the universe is making us right with him. It is um, we are the ones who should be on the cross. We are the ones who deserve no better than what Christ has received. And yet in the mystery of the Holy Trinity and in, in the working between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, God is bringing us to him. And we just, we, we celebrate that and in, in trust in that mysterious working of God. Now to the topic, like I mentioned, the conquering the promised land, or what do we do with judges here and seeing these are, these are God's people and, you know, go and do battle and go and do these things. And, and, you know, JL and Deborah and Barak are held up as, as these heroes for a moment. Some of this is to zoom out and see the larger story of God, that he is continuing to preserve his promise. He promised to send a savior and preserving the, the people of Israel at this time is working towards that promise. And God's going to accomplish that through all sorts of means. What what is it? Um, yeah, just recently I was going through Jeremiah. You're going to do a Ezekiel this Sunday, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're talking about people in exile. And God will even use enemy kings like Nebuchadnezzar. He'll call the uh, him or Cyrus, right from Persia. He'll he'll call them my son. Uh, God will work through the the powers that be in the world to accomplish His greater purpose and work. Again, I think descriptive, prescriptive is a really helpful razor here. Like, okay, this is what happened. God will use it for his purposes. But for us to say, okay, now go and do likewise. We're going to head into trouble here, or I'm going to engage in some sort of holy war or something like that. You're, you're, you're making it up and uh, flee from someone who's saying stuff like that. So yeah, that's good. So then, uh, so then the central teaching of the sermon would have been like, you know, this is the thing that happened. Trust in God that um, uh, that you know, even though we may not understand these things, it's God's ultimately driving towards the cross, driving towards our uh, the promise of salvation. Yeah, and that's kind of what I ended up doing with the sermon. I it felt kind of a uh, like I was cheating around the text. Yeah, because it was really tough. What what do we say from here? I think there. Are, maybe some insights to bring up or what can we say about Deborah as a judge or Barack as a leader or, you know some of the inner workings there but sometimes you just look at a, a passage like this and there'll be times in judges you know and there, there are parts of judges we just won't end up reading that you know we just say okay this this happened and I can't stomach it I need Christ and just to jump there and, and I think that's a really relatable thing in our lives that we have these moments I can't explain the suffering I don't know why this happens I look at the news and I hear about um, how children are slaughtered just needlessly in wars and uh, disease that uh, ravages our bodies and whatever else. And why all this? I don't know. 
I know Christ. And, and that's so much of the Christian life is not trying to explain away suffering and calamity and just the horrors that are in a sinful, broken world, but to say, but we know Christ. We know the restoration is coming. We know that sin has been dealt with. It, it really is finished. I thought that was good, and I also like where you did the typology piece, where you uh, compared Cicero's mother to um, to Mary, because uh, I don't know that we would have that would have been a something you would have necessarily drawn out right away, because in the in the uh, poem, Deborah is singing about this victory, this great victory, but then you have, and you have Cicero, she is the mother of the enemy, right? You know, but then you draw them together um, and uh, and and bring that relationship together. Yeah, what's interesting is the the song, it begins by addressing the leaders of the world. You know, hear, O kings, give ear, O princes, to the Lord I will sing. And then at the end of the song, uh, after we have this uh, interaction with Sisera's mother, it says, So may all your enemies perish, O Lord, but your friends be like the sun as he rises in his might. And, and you see this in scripture, different times where uh, the wicked leaders and rulers of the world are called out for what they, for what they are and their evil and their wickedness and how God will deal justly with them ultimately. Maybe on the side of eternity, you know, nations rise and fall, kings are brought down from their thrones, but ultimately judgment will come for them uh, now or in eternity. And you see this, you see this uh, in places like the Psalms very much. Uh, a huge theme of the Psalms is God will, God will deal with their enemies. He will rescue his people. And part of the goodness of God is their enemies get what's coming to them. And interestingly, maybe the, the Mary connection is in Mary's Magnificat in Luke 1, right? The mighty are brought down from their thrones. The lowly are exalted. She has this sort of language in the Magnificat as well. So yeah, it's interesting to make that connection there. It's still uncomfortable. I think that's fair with uh, Deborah invoking these things and especially mocking Cicero's mother. But uh, this is, again, descriptive, prescriptive. I think it's fair to still use that here. So in, in relation to the poem, we actually have a, a question from a member. That they want to know why should we care um, that uh, one of the people was riding on a white donkey? All right. Uh, very specific question. When it comes to details in scripture, they are worth paying attention to, especially like in the Old Testament, you don't get a whole ton of detail. And so, you know, last week you had Ehud and we get the mention, he's a left-handed man, which mattered uh, ultimately in the story there and how he uh, uh, took out King Eglon. So sometimes details do matter. Here, I'm not entirely sure what this detail could mean, other than the language of donkey is couched with other language of the wealthy and the rich, and it could just be, you know, uh, a symbol of status, and so it might be uh, you driving, you know, the X car as a, as a symbol of wealth, right? And part of the poem is calling out those who did not participate in the fight. While, is, what was it? It was uh, Naphtali and Zebulun. They were the tribes that stepped up and, and fought and rescued Israel. The others didn't. And there might have been some some class issues there, or I don't know. But I think that's all we can really say about the donkey piece. And it's, yeah, the details should matter. We should pay attention to them. But also, we should also be okay with if we can't say much more. And we can also say, I don't know. So, uh, one last question. Are you looking forward to preaching on this text again? I don't, uh, well, it doesn't come up in the lectionary. And I can see why. If I was given a chance to preach on it again, it would be interesting to return to these ideas and see what, what can be done. But no matter what, no matter what text we are stuck with preaching, even if I was stuck with like a genealogy, 
or something really boring. I don't know. I think a genealogy might be easier than this one. Because at least you can tell the stories behind the names. You can yeah, kind of pick can, and choose. You know? Yeah, you can pick and choose I mean, on that one. We got to jump to Christ, yeah. and we always have to get to him. And I appreciated that opportunity to, to share Christ and the victory that we have in him. And and go and I don't think I answered your question fully earlier about Sisera and Mary. Not a connection I initially thought, and not a connection I felt entirely comfortable making, knowing that Sisera was the mother of the enemy and the reasons she misses her son and for the spoils of war and those awful details there. But part of typology can also be this inverting as well. It's not just, you know, here's good character and this points to good character Jesus. It could also be this opposite character in, in virtue or integrity. And Christ is is the truth and is the opposite of that. Well, I when I heard it, I the way I uh, I felt it or um, thought you were going with it was is that you have these two characters, both mothers, you know, are suffering because of the loss of their son, uh, and so um, and so ultimately Christ is the one that deals with that problem of suffering. And yes. So and so I, that, that's kind of how I felt that the tie together uh, was, even though one is being mocked by by a judge of God and the other one is being mocked by the world, they're still tied together by that common suffering, a suffering which which Christ deals with. No, I, I think that's totally true, and that's and that's definitely the link, uh, the, the, the suffering of the loss of a child and the grieving that's there, you know, no matter, no matter the parent, that, that pain is real. And, and it's interesting how Scripture points that out here. When I was uh, looking around for just different uh, research and ideas, and I, I stumbled across uh, a Christian who has a blog, I guess, every Mother's Day, and he will post about a character from Scripture who has lost a child. Mm. Um, and so, you know, Rachel weeping for her children, or, you know, things like these, or, or even um, Hannah longing for a son, longing for a child, right? I mean, you think of Hannah's longing in the book of Samuel, and especially because Mother's Day can be a particularly painful day. Um, it you know it's a day to give thanks for the gift of mothers, but also there's this this world is full of pain and brokenness too, and even the relationship of mother, it's been shot through with evil and sin too. That um, our our relationships with our mothers can be strained, uh, we can lose our mothers to death, um, or you know we may not have been given the the blessing of children to be you know mothers ourselves, and so this uh, Christian brings up a different character of scripture and blogs about it, and I happen to stumble on the blog where this author talks about Cicero's mother and in finds solace in her grieving and her suffering, you know, despite some of the external details there, but exactly your point of the suffering of Cicero. And now we can jump to Mary who, who grieves the death of her son. And yet it is through his death, all of our grieving, all of our suffering finds a place. All of our grieving, all of our suffering will have an answer. And the answer is Christ is still risen today. Hallelujah. Yeah. Even in Lent. Yeah. Even in Lent. Yeah. So, uh, so I'm preaching on Ezekiel. You're, uh, and then I got an easier Judge Gideon. Right. So this coming Sunday, you got Ezekiel. Uh, good luck. Uh, I always find the Ezekiel readings a little challenging. I think it's. I, I actually, I actually didn't think it's going to be too bad. I'd say that now, but uh, we'll see how it works out. Uh, that's right. And you got a, a sermon evaluation group coming up here. Uh, that's right. right. Yeah. That's so right. the seminary requires the vicars to get their sermons evaluated, mm-hmm. and it just means extra work on your end. They get to do more uh, language work with the Hebrew, and then you got to do a feedback group afterwards. Yeah. Yep. Fortunately, though, they took away the exegetical papers. So. Oh, did they? Yeah, yeah. So that's gone. So that was kind of nice. Oh, okay. All right. Well, this wraps up our episode for today. Thank you all for listening. Uh, in case you missed today's sermon and you wanted to listen to it again, the link to the sermon is in the show notes. 
Uh, you can also find the sermon on the church's website, stjohndublin.org. Um, and if you are a listener and would like to submit a question about the sermon, please email us at podcast at stjohndublin.org. Or if you would prefer to text a question, please text the phone number found in the show notes. Thank you so much. This is Vicar James filling in for Deacon Estelia. Join us next time for the Post Sermon Podcast.